You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Talking About podcast. Uh, usually I edit in music beforehand, but you're not going to hear any music this time. Uh, this team doesn't deserve music. This team blew a 26-point lead to the Atlanta Hawks last night in Game 5 and now face elimination. And what I would say is, so I'm only 20 years old, which I guess, you know, it's not super young, but I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that old, but... I've been the Sixers fan my whole life have probably been a pretty, I was definitely a Sixers fan. Like he was watching the team somewhat consistently from probably since 2010, I want to say. And it's really picked up like probably since 2016, which you could always say like, I mean, it was getting older. I was getting more into watching basketball as I was in high school. So that's really like the last five to six years is I, I can, I remember all the Iguodala, Drew Holiday teams, but the, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons teams are the ones I've watched most times where I'm never missing a game, stuff like that. And uh, that is the worst I've ever felt after a Sixers loss. It was inexcusable. It feels way worse than the Kawhi shot, to be honest. And uh, yeah, uh, I didn't even ask Sean how he's doing. I'm guessing he's doing well. I've been better. Yeah, the the music, I think, has died inside you, Daniel, from from the sound of your tone. And uh, Ben Simmons I, killed it. Ben Ben Simmons unleashed a swarm of bricks that destroyed any musical recording equipment inside your soul. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a tough day at this you know twelve hours or so for Philadelphia sports fans. I imagine uh, We're recording as, this at eleven thirty a.m. on Thursday. For those wondering, yeah, it's it's definitely up there in the train wreck losses of Philadelphia sports history for this generation. Um, my friend texted me the 2011 Phillies loss to the Cardinals. That, that was, is a, that is a good one. Although you know why I can even, cause I like, I'm someone who hasn't, I've stopped following baseball, but I used to be a huge Phillies fan as a kid when they were really good. And I, I remember specifically watching that game. It was very vivid memory. Cause I was very upset that night, but even that, you know, what's different at the top from that. That Phillies loss, which will always be different, that iteration of a Phillies team won a title. So no matter how bad any loss feels, there's always a part of you who's like, well, at least I had that. Like, yeah, that's true. So that's like, like, it's the same thing with like the Eagles losses the past few years. Like, did that loss to the Saints in the playoffs suck? Yeah, they probably should have won that game. They, They won the Super Bowl the year before. You're not exactly crying about it. Like, there's differences in this. And like, it's sad because we all thought this was different right like this team was different the last few years we've and then like the Sixers had come up they the last two years it felt like they were letting down on some potential that they're making a lot of mistakes but this year was supposed to be the year that was different and you get to this point and it's not different they're still failing and just like 
I'm pretty sure they're going to lose game six in Atlanta. I don't know about you, but I, I've like, I think it's over. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that it's over because you could say pretty realistically that they should have won every game in the series. But that's the thing. They that's that's why I don't believe in them. It's there have been three gl- close games in the series, and they've lost all of them for a reason. Yeah, but they have. The, pulled, the, they the have reason is not that they're, they're not the better team. So, I I think you still have that to fall back on. Just like get this amorphous, intangible weird voodoo that's going on out of well, here a, and just, and just go back voodoo. to playing playing basketball <laughs> it's not a weird voodoo it's that they have made a ton of defensive mistakes in the at the end of the stretches of especially games four and five their offense is completely broken down in the fourth quarter of the past two games yeah ben simmons i just it's not even the foul shots i don't even care about the foul shots really the way like what he was trying to do like last night in that possession where the sixers were down one during their on the Hawks to come all the way back down 105, 104, and B gets doubled. Gallinari falls down. Both Tobias and Ben are standing under the bucket, and Bede whips it to Tobias. Gallinari gets back up the challenge, and John Collins, like credit to John Collins, he made an incredible recovery block, and then it went off on Tobias to give the Hawks the ball. But uh, on that possession, like Tobias drove baseline, and you know what happened? The Gallo, I think Gallo was on Ben. He helped off of Ben. Ben did nothing, and Tobias had to dump it off to Embiid. And B gets doubled in the post when he thought he had an advantage because they helped off of Ben. Ben was in Tobias' spot. They were able to cover two of one. And then again, when the ball gets whipped to Toby, no one paid attention to Ben. Ben was just standing in a spot where he couldn't do anything. I like, and I know it's not obviously not all on Ben. Like basically everyone last night who wasn't named Joel Embiid or Seth Curry has, I don't know how they can look at themselves right now because there was a disgrace what they did in blowing that game. And even Embiid's probably very upset with how he played in the second half after yeah. Embiid was basically perfect in the first half. The second half wasn't good, but it's still, still, I mean, Embiid was the reason they got out to that huge lead. And then Seth was basically the only reason it took so long for the Hawks to take the lead is that Seth Curry was making all those shots for so long. And yeah. Then- Embiid had a really rough second half. He, he came out in the third quarter, just really sloppy, just those kind of lackadaisical turnovers we had seen from him in years past and that he had largely cut out this season. They, they acted like a team that thought they had already won the game. Yep, for sure. Um, yeah, and Seth Seth played amazing. I mean, he was just creating stuff on his own, play after play. They There, there wasn't well-designed offense by any means. It was basically just Seth Curry bailing out his his father-in-law um for a good 12 minutes before he couldn't do it any any longer and yeah, yeah all your points about ben are, are valid towards the end of the game it's amazing that two weeks ago doc rivers was saying that people were absurd for even asking the question about do you take him out of a game when the, the hack of ben stuff is going on and, and now, <laughs> now not only is he doing it, he's saying in the post-game press conference that if Ben's making the shots, you can leave him in. And if he's not, you can't. And that's just the way it is. Uh, so I don't know. There, there seems to be some sort of straw that broke with Doc and at least discussing Ben's shortcomings because before it was defend the player at all costs. And he's still defending Ben to a certain extent, like before he made that comment, he did say like, oh, in the first half, 
it actually helped us that they were fouling him because he got Herder and Bogdanovich in foul trouble. Yeah, and... we have no complaints about what happened in the first half. Right. Every single complaint <laughs> from last night is what happened in the second half. Include, I just want to shout this out. Like, uh, Mo DeKeel just tweeted this. He's a very good podcaster and writer. He used to work in the NBA with, a, I believe, the Clippers film room team. Very great follow on, on Twitter for everyone out there. But he um, said that Philly went from 10 Embiid post-ups in the first half to only three in the second half. And of those three, just one in the fourth quarter with two minutes left where he got the ball five seconds left on the shot clock, which seems like a bad idea considering it is. Yeah. their best offense usually is Embiid. Um, we haven't even started on Tobias, who I don't know, like Tobias, because it felt like more just Tobias has had a really bad game. I don't know if he was doing anything that much differently than usual. Like, you know, like he was missing the shots we thought he would make. He was... He, I mean, the getting stuffed at the rim was pretty bad. I, he went up with his left hand weirdly there because Gallo got up from the ground to challenge it. I thought he probably could have gone up with his right. And I think it was some showing some like, because Tobias is obviously not unathletic, but he's very, his athleticism is based in his strength and some of his hand eye coordination. Like how we can basically just, if he can overpower you and get to the rim, he's so much stronger. And he, he has a skill to finish those tough mid range shots and those tough layups but he can't explode by anyone vertically or horizontally really and against a guy like John Collins who is like you know based entirely in terms of he's got some explosiveness to him it kind of got bested pretty bad last night and the threes weren't falling so that was really rough uh like you mentioned tough Tobias game I'm I'm not as like ready to bring the pitchforks out on Tobias as a lot of other people seem to be. And I get it. Cause it's like in right in the wake of this crushing loss and you just want to lash out at everybody. Tobias had a really bad game, but he's been awfully consistent all postseason. Like he, he was due to have an off game. Like it's going yeah. to happen. He, the shots started. It, it wasn't, he wasn't an all night for him. The shots weren't falling and you could tell he like mentally started like questioning, Oh, should I be shooting now? Because I haven't been hitting. And you brought up that play where towards the end where he, his guy fell and then he drove the baseline and dished off to Embiid. Like any other game this postseason, Tobias just lets loose a little like 12 foot, either pull up jumper or floater right there. And it, it's probably a really efficient shot for him, but he was just so in his head about stuff that he didn't, he didn't want to put that up. And then he dished off to Embiid and it was just like, it's really haphazard play. Um, but it's fine as in terms of Tobias, like I'm not worried. I think he'll come back in game six and, and be a solid contributor for the team again. Um, you, I, you talked about doc. Like we have to, you knew exactly what was going to happen when that you saw the bench lineup with <laughs> Tobias out there come out and the start of the fourth, when the Hawks been creeping closer, it was like, this is going to happen. Isn't it? Like they're not going to score here tonight. None of these guys have it going. And Lou Williams was getting hot and you could just tell what was about to happen. It was very clear. And yet doc refuses to stagger the lineups more, which just does not make any sense. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to even like assess who I'm the most mad at. Like there've been a ton of great points about yes, doc made a mistake there, but like at some point it's on the players to play better, especially the starters when they did get back in the game. Yeah. The starters came back in and they were still up 15 with eight minutes left. So it, it, they I lost mean, they lost the game. It wasn't yeah, the bench lineup didn't help because it cut it from 
I think, 20 to 11. It's not even like that a, the point difference is that the bench lineup gave the Hawks hope that they could do this. The yeah. bench lineup basically let Lou Will, they let Lou Williams get hot, which is if there's one thing we've learned about Lou Will over his entire career, long career in the NBA, is that when that dude gets hot, it's very dangerous because he can really score. Like, we know this. I've learned a few things about Lou Williams. That's one of them. Another is he's great at managing relationships and, <laughs> and he loves hot wings. These, these are the things that I know about Lou Williams. Well, um, it seemed like the Sixers didn't know that part when they were letting them get like, but uh, if I had to rank who like I'm most mad at, like, I think Ben Simmons is number one. I'm just, I, there's nothing. It's just bad. I, I don't care about everything else. The good thing he does when, you're going to be that bad offensively in the game. I'm pretty mad at Doc. Yeah, honestly, I'm a little mad at Matisse, not even because Matisse played fine. It's just that Matisse had the one glaring mistake where he bit on Trey Young's pump fake, which you could tell it felt like Trey was going to pull back for it. And he, I mean, it was honestly a really good play by Trey. He knew Matisse was waiting for it. So, you know, in some ways you give credit to Trey there, but it's – I'm just because that was the play again, but honestly, they were just going to find a different way to give up the lead, if not that. So I'm <laughs> yeah. not, not too mad, but like Ben and Doc are the two I'm looking at after this loss. Like, guys, I don't know what to say to either of you. And honestly, just the Sixers organization as a whole, because what's so frustrating about this and why I think it's worse than like I, I tweeted out earlier today, like just a list. I didn't say what the list was about, but it was pretty clear to any Sixers fan what it was. It was one last night's 26 point blown lead. Number two, game seven versus the Raptors with Kawhi Shaw and the Greg Monroe minutes. Game number three, the confetti game. Number four, game five against the Celtics. Embiid loses it on the double team. And the game four against the Hawks where they blew a 13-point lead, which was basically the five most painful losses I felt these past few years as a Sixers fan. And what makes this one worse... Why why do we care about this team so much? (laughs) (laughs) Great. But what what makes this worse in like the past years is that and I thought about this recently. It's because in the previous years, the Sixers were quote, were the Hawks, quote unquote. They were the up and coming team, especially in 2018, 2019, with a lot of potential. Maybe, and probably people thought high, more highly of the Sixers than they did the Hawks coming into the series. And that's why, like, they were the ones who came back against the Raptors in game seven and thought they might steal it. And we were all like, holy crap, what did the Sixers do this before that shot went in? They were the ones who, like, it was amazing that some people thought in 2018 as a team their first year in the playoffs with that iteration of the squad might make it all the way to the conference finals before the Celtics took them down. Like, it was kind of this linear path both thing. And now we thought, oh, so now the Sixers are that team that everyone's trying to beat because they're that good now. And that's just what's so frustrating about it is that this isn't supposed to happen. You're supposed to have learned by now how to do this. And instead you've completely fallen apart in three. It, it's so frustrating that the Sixers, there have been three close games out of five in the series. The Sixers have lost all three close games that the two wins were blowouts and that in portion for at least a half of each games, one, four, and five, the Sixers have looked like the much better team, but the halves they did lose. They lost so horribly that they lost each of those games. And that's just, I mean, we talked about how special it is to make the conference finals all the time. And now it looks like they're not going to do that because this stupid team just lost their minds the entire second half of that game, let the Hawks get going, and could not figure out how to score the last few minutes of the game. And now, what? 
Like, what happens now when the, if they probably – I think they're going to lose game six in Atlanta. What happens now? Where, where do you go from this? This is rock bottom. <laughs> at least like, the Raptors shot Kawhi. Like, I didn't think we were better than the Raptors. I thought the Raptors were the better team. It, so was, at least, it was at least a coin flip. And you're like, okay, they, they Kawhi's playing out of his mind. You know, Joel hasn't been fully actualized yet. They had the best player. Like, usually NBA playoffs, best player wins. Like, this series, you know, all respect to Trey Young, he's been terrific. But the Sixers have the best player, and he's playing like it. It's not like he's having a down series by any means. He's been tremendous. But everything else around him, you know, outside of 80% of Tobias... 80% Tobias 80% of the time in Seth Curry all series has just been an absolute train wreck. And that's the frustrating part is that the pieces are there and it's, you know, speaks to what you said about, you know, they were the scrappy underdog before and yeah, they lost heartbreaking games, but you know, they weren't the favorite. So at the end of the day, you, you, you say, all right, we still have, you know, things to do th- adjustments to make in the off season and we can come back better than we were before. Like this was supposed to be the the fully realized, all right, the process all led up to this Philadelphia 76ers. They're the one seed. The the field in the East is as barren as it's ever going to be. Uh, guys are falling apart in the West also. Like if you're going to seize the moment, this was the moment to seize. On, and- on a day where the NBA lost its mind <laughs> with all the news that was going on, the biggest news of the day actually has a case that the Sixers completely had a meltdown, a meltdown of – such epic proportions. Like, I didn't even see any record or stuff like that. Because I think the in 2002, the Celtics in a conference finals game pa- came back from down 30 against the Nets. But that is up there for, like, biggest meltdown ever. It's like our moment where, I don't know if you remember 2015, the Clippers-Rockets game, where the, the Clippers had the 3-1 series lead. Then they gave up one into Houston. Then in game six, they're up 19, like, entering the fourth and blew the lead. Because that was – and it's just like – you're just kind of dazed after it, like what just happened. And again, it's like, it's worse than the Kawhi shot of the Raptors because my feeling after that game was like, you know, it's a missed opportunity. They could have done this, but that's really just what it was. It was like, it felt, it felt like if the Kawhi had missed that shot and the Sixers had somehow pulled out that win overtime, it would have felt lucky to beat them in a way. I mean, some people can disagree with me. If I would have, I was surprised if the Sixers won. One that I kind of had this feeling of like, oh man, it's just that sucks. That's smart sometimes. If the Sixers lose this series, my feeling's gonna be like, what just happened? This whole season just it ends like that, where a team you're better than a team that's and again, we have to give all the credit to the Hawks. The Hawks are doing exactly what they have to do. Credit to them, like they're very well coached. They are they are look like the much more resilient team. They they have not backed down at all the entire time. And they are right now about to do so- a team that has supposedly like when they started their rebuild has not had to go through as much as you had in terms of losing all those years and suffering all those playoff defeats. And they just look more ready than you. Like, and it's just, it's unbelievably frustrating. And I like all those jokes about the Milwaukee frauds after they lost game five to a Nets team that basically played like had James Harden do a weekend at Bernie's impression for 46 minutes. Like honestly, Philadelphia frauds, like that's what it feels like right now. They completely are just, I, I I'm just unbelievably exasperated right now at this team and what they did last night. It's inexcusable. Everything that happened. It, se- it seemed like you were searching for a stat there. Uh, here's a good one. 
since 1996, when the Sixers have had a 25 point lead in a game, they were 165 and zero. Well, yeah, because you're not supposed to blow 25 point leads in basketball. It doesn't happen. Exactly, and so they decide to do it at home in the most important game of the season. Um, to I, I want to circle back to Doc and and the the fourth quarter bench minutes for for a second. So first of all, like willingly pouring bleach in your eyes, <laughs> the Tobias bench lineup doesn't make sense on a night where Tobias has been dreadful and doesn't have anything going whatsoever. So why not go with the Seth and bench lineup that we've seen before? Or here's an idea, like stick Seth out there also with Tobias. It's the most important game of the season. They can play 40 minutes. Like they don't, they don't need the full rest period in the second half there, especially when Seth uh, just scored 14 in the third, got a couple minutes off at the end of the quarter. So it's not like he's absolutely exhausted where you can't have him back out there. And he's been carrying your team in the second half, like leave him out there to put the, the foot on the throat and really like put these Hawks to bed. Instead, everything else happens, you know, Lou gets hot and suddenly they have life, but yeah, why not just go with, go with those guys for a few extra minutes at the the start of the fourth and just really put the game away. Like it's so frustrating that this seems to be a pattern with doc. And we said, Oh, well, He's not going to do it in the playoffs. And then we said, oh, well, he's not. I thought he was going to do it in the playoffs. I just thought that, I don't know. Again, it was kind of just like crossing my fingers and hoping that Embiid and the starters would be so good that it wouldn't even matter. Or, again, that Tobias could lift them. But but I had, I mean, like, watch games five, six, and seven of the Nuggets Clippers series where it's last year where it's apparent. It's very apparent that Montrez Harrell, like, should be placed as far away from Nikola Jokic as possible yet he continually played him against him and they largely lost the series because of that failure to adjust. And like, I mean, I, I know I'm getting lost for words besides what to say that every, everyone, like there's no like sympathy to be felt for the Sixers right now. It feels like they deserve this, that this, that is like, punishment for how you played last night and every Sixers fan has the right to be like objectively furious at everyone on the team oh yeah this is except maybe Seth yeah I mean well Joel Joel's playing awesome and he's doing it on a torn meniscus you can't you can't Joel are the only ones spared at the moment yeah you can't be upset with Joel at all even if he did have a rough second half and missed those free throws which that's crazy he missed two free throws in the final 15 seconds the game was, was already over. It wasn't over. If, if I, you make well, the game was spiritually over. The Sixers <laughs> had been their will had been broken by that point. That's true, but they're still. If he makes both, they're down one, so they can still <laughs> have a glossing, shot to tie. Over that their will had been broken. I just I just blurred out that their will was broken, and you're like, yeah, that's true. Like, the will, like their will was clearly dead. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it's still a one point game if Joel makes the free throws, but it was just crazy that he missed them because he'd been 11 for 11 up to that point. Just every, like literally everything going wrong for the Sixers, the final few minutes of that game. Um, it, the, the other thing is with, with Ben. Yeah. The hack of Ben, those, it, it was fine in the first half. They actually gained three points on Atlanta. The second half, he, I think he went, he made, he made two, which, the arena, he finally made both. The arena had been waiting for it. They acted like we'd won the title. That was their reaction because they had been the like sports sports parent 
cheering their their kid on to to do this impossible feat of making two free throws and he finally does and they they gave him all the love and then he missed two and then doc decided that was enough um yeah the problem is ben's out of the game suddenly there's four minutes left or and it's the most important game of the season and suddenly shake milton is our primary initiator the guy who two weeks ago was not even playing he was completely out of the rotation and it wasn't like it was game two shake. Like he did not have a good game by any means. So, but suddenly he's the guy with the ball in his hands with the, the season on the line, essentially. And things aren't working. They, they ran a, they actually ran a good play and Seth got wide open on the slip screen. Oh my gosh. That I, I think you saw me tweet that too. Like yeah. it, Seth slipped that. And cause it's the same thing that the Hawks have been running for Herder and Bogdanovich all series. And it's just, it was so wide open. Yeah. The hottest guy on the floor for the Sixers came wide open, and they didn't even look at him. Like, yeah, and that and that's because that's not Seth's game. He's not a great distributor. He's a guy who can create. Shake, like I think you said, Seth there. Uh, yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah, Shake. That that's not Shake's game. He's he's good at creating for himself, but and he he can make some reads to his teammates, but it's it's only when it comes in the context of like hey two guys helped off me in the lane i can hit the open guy on the kick out but he doesn't see seth slip there wide open that would have been a huge like seth hits that suddenly all the the bad juju can can maybe evaporate out of the the like the team that they can suddenly start thinking oh maybe we can still pull this out but instead he he doesn't even look at him and i think that was was that the possession that ended up with joel getting fouled maybe I, it might have been that one, but uh, I mean, like, honestly, all the bad possessions towards yeah. the end kind yeah. of started to blend together. Um, it's they got bailed out early in the second quarter when the bench was playing bad, but they hit a few like random variance threes from Shake and Matisse that were bad shots that went in, so they kind of like stemmed the tide and kind of like gave off the facsimile of, oh, we're not actually doing bad, but really they were, and then. All the Hawks needed was to get hot for a little bit. John Collins banked in a three. Lou Williams made all those shots. Trey started driving like crazy and getting whatever he wanted. And, you know, we can all clown Capella. I sure did. Like, and yes, Capella has gotten owned by Embiid in the first half of a lot of these games. But, like, he at least made it difficult towards the end. And, like, honestly, you know, another thing I just wanted to say, I pointed this out too. I tweeted this out. The Hawks have taken more shots than the Sixers, like more field goal attempts in four of the five games, including in games four, they took 16 more field goal attempts than Sixers. In game five, that was 10 more. Now, some of that can be attributed to all the free throws Embiid gets, but obviously the Hawks get a lot of free throws too. And a lot of it is the Sixers turning the ball over like crazy, as is tradition. And also, this is something I didn't think would be a problem this series. Like, they get out-hustled for offensive rebounds by the Hawks all the time this series. How many times does John Collins come flying in and no one got the ball from him? Like, that can't happen. That's just – it's another thing. Like, a Sixers team that all year seemed very organized, very ready to do this, looks unorganized and not ready. It's it's inexcusable. Yeah, I, I was apologetic for Tobias earlier, but I will say something he's been pretty bad at all series long has been boxing out John Collins which it's a tough assignment because Collins is super athletic and quick for very quick for a guy's size. And 
Tobias has, you know, other responsibilities. Like everyone's worried about helping on Trey if he gets in the lane and everything else. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's just not been doing what he needs to do to keep Collins off the glass. And that, that is certainly, I, I would say game four, that was a really huge part of why they lost. Um, but it did factor into game five as well. So yeah, not, <laughs> I mean, we could talk for hours about all the things that have been going wrong for the Sixers lately, but uh, yeah, not, not great times. We're, we're back to uh, the pessimistic podcast. The opt- the optimism has, has left. <laughs> Yeah, it's we are back to a dark, depressed, pondering life itself podcast. Um, that's about it. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're gonna end it there on our venting. And I mean, I was really the one doing a lot of the venting. I guess Sean, Sean I'm glad you came in as the more rational perspective this year because I'm like I am at the lowest point right now. Um, <laughs> I am. You know, uh, people were always tweeting out that. Uh, gift from community where Troy uh, Donald Glover as Troy walks into the room with the pizzas and everything's on fire in reaction to all the news well I'm currently Troy in community when he's sobbing in a bathroom bathroom singing reading rainbow that's (laughs) kind of how I feel right now but uh we do we did have a guest originally planned for this podcast to break down some more technical things that are going on the court we're about to bring him on so Right after, I maybe I don't know if we'll have the ads in here, but yeah, we'll bring on a guest here from Peachtree Hoops to help us break down what specifically happened on the court last night that lost Sixers the game. All right, and we are back, and we have on with us Glenn Willis, of a contributor for Peachtree Hoops, the Atlanta Hawks SB Nation site. Glenn, uh, I would ask how you're doing, but I'm guessing you're doing pretty well. I mean, I'm good. I, I'm not a super emotional sports watcher. I'm more of an intellectual, but the I think it was impossible to watch that game last night as someone who grew up rooting for the Hawks and to be transparent, still, you know, root for the Hawks to do well, um, even though that's not why I watched NBA basketball as kind of the top line driver. Um, but I mean, the feeling I had was just shock. And I think that that's the predominant feeling I'm having this morning too, is that I just can't believe, it, you know, what transpired I mean the Sixers are the better team they basically had the series in hand and I just oh we know we know (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, not 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 sharing that as if to inform you but just kind of sharing my perspective there vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where viator steps in you can book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah, so Glenn, what we wanted to ask about is like, we, I think we've gone over a lot of like, especially why the Sixers lost from maybe a, 
organizational perspective, kind of some of the choices they made last night and also how their offense failed for the Sixers. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what was the main thing that changed for the Hawks offense, particularly in that fourth quarter that got them going and helped them pull off this comeback in game five? Yeah, so the biggest thing for me is they just gave up on all of the off-ball based, uh, off-ball screen based sets. Um, they they used that really heavily versus the Knicks. It's been a major point of emphasis since Nick McMillan took over as coach. Um, but the Sixers wings, uh, most specifically Simmons and Tybal, you know, Green before he got hurt, um, are great at top locking those actions. Um, and they're just really physical and kind of, ref- in many instances, refuse to allow like Bogdanovich to get to the screen and use it to get some separation. Um, and last night, I felt like uh, the coaching staff on the Hawks side just realized that's just not something we're going to be able to rely on in this game. It'll be interesting to see how that goes the rest of the series but they've been basically just straight high pick and roll um with trey and lou and a little bit of other guys mixed in and then um they went to a lot of where they start with their stack set and run the slot pick and roll lou did a lot of that last night and so um you know i i just i, I think that they just punted on that and kind of focused on their bread and butter you know nate mcmillan believes in offensive diversity but they kind of went um, away from a lot of the things they've used so heavily since he took over. It just went straight pick and roll, and it seems like that helped them kind of focus on a few things to do on offense instead of four or five or six different things you might kind of mix in over eight possessions or whatever, and that, that helped them get their rhythm and um, start, start getting some shots to fall. Step one was to just not let the league get past, you know, or to keep it in the range of about 2022 20, for a while. And then eventually the, they got the foot in the door. But I, the biggest change from a tactic standpoint and Nexus is no standpoint was they just completely abandoned all of their off ball screen based stuff they've been running the, the postseason until this game. Yeah. So, like, if I'm reading that correctly, it's basically like all that, like, kind of window dressing with those off-ball screen actions that maybe could give a team like the Knicks trouble. But that stuff, like, against a team that is, as much as we're frustrated with them, admittedly good on defense like the Sixers are, and they, they kind of cover those up. It's the Hawks like, you know what, enough messing around. It's we're just getting Trey or Lou a advantage at the top of the key and letting them try and go to work. Like, we're going to simplify this. Let's see if the Sixers can stop it. Yeah, I mean, and we, there's a lot of different layers to it. Um, like, for example, with if you think about Trey at the top of the, um, you know, the floor, you know, holding the ball is like right in his face, you know, since game two anyway. And that's been tough for Trey to even kind of get to where he needs to go to deliver the ball, you know, at, you know, on, on, in those sets. Um, on top of that, you know, and be in, on those sets kind of gets to sit back in the paint and stay where he's most valuable, you know, in the paint close to the rim, doesn't necessarily have to get out and do a lot on the perimeter there. And, and you know, so there's a lot of different things uh, that the that was manifesting around all of that, like Ben just being able to pressure Trey uh, and Embiid be able to kind of sit. Um, and then they were just weren't generating much off of those trains anyway. Um, so, you know, Nate McMillan is kind of a famously a bit of a stubborn coach. So it'd be interesting to see if he tries to get them going back to that in game six, or if he just kind of uh, sheds it permanently in the series and we see just a lot more high pick and roll. I, I don't think the Sixers are, you know, you know, uniquely susceptible 
to the high screen role. They're one of the best teams in the league. They play maybe the best drop coverage you'll see, and they'll even get their big out there supporting it. You know, mm-hmm. They're very good. Uh, it just so happens that I think last night the idea was let's do what we believe can give us a run. Mm-hmm. So, so Glenn, something that seemed to work really well for Atlanta last night was going with Gallo at the three alongside Collins and Capella. Uh, it was definitely helped because the Sixers weren't able to kind of exploit that defensively because no one on the Sixers could do anything offensively outside of Curry and Embiid. Um, but on offense, that seemed to give them great ability on the offensive boards with that size plus Gallo and Collins were both shooting the ball well, so they weren't hindered by that added size on, by still being able to space the floor. Is that is that something that I, I know Gallo was hurt a lot this year, but is that something Atlanta has has used in the past, or was that kind of like a this just seemed to be working by by accident, and he just Nate McMillan just stuck with it? Yeah, um, going on my own recollection, they never used that combination until this series. Not 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 one time, you know. And, and my, my sense is just that, um, you know, if, you, if you're running three guards out there, you know, on the defensive end, say Trey, but Donovan's and Herter as has been the starters the last few games, too often that guy that's doubling on a bead or helping, trying to help with a dig on a bead is just a really small defender and it's having zero impact on him. And so on the defensive end, I think you just have more size and, Statistically, if your other four guys that aren't defending a beat are, you know, basically two power forwards and two a guard and a wing, you're more likely to bring a bigger defender into that interaction and maybe, hopefully for the Hawks, have a little bit more impact there. So I think that's part of it. Another part is rebounding. I mean, I don't think there's many guys in the in the whole league that deal with a beat on the glass by themselves. You know, if, I mean, can anyone? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. And so the size has been beneficial like you said Sean on a couple levels rebounding but I think it has also been just having bigger bodies on the floor so that you have the option if they can get lined up the way they want to bring a, a bigger defender into the double or the dig or whatever it might be mm-hmm. like and it makes so much sense with a bigger lineup because the Sixers big advantage all year has been that you know just Embiid Simmons and Tobias are a lot of size to put on the court and the Sixers like kind of make up for it by oh they're Ben is still quick enough defensively that it's really not going to hurt us on that end. We can still keep up with everything. And then we're just going to mash you inside specifically. If there's like Ben can do it in transition. If Tobias gets a smaller forward on him, he can go to a quick post up and get it. And B, if you have a smaller guy on B, he'll put him under the basket. So it's like, oh, this, this all works. But the Hawks of those three, you know, Capella has had his moments getting schooled by Embiid, but, you know, he's come up in the second half each game and he's at least like, he can put him on him. And then you have Gallo and Collins out there against Ben Simmons and Tobias and the Hawks make up for it by not sacrificing any shooting. Like you said, Sean, I mean, heck Gallo was making some really tough, like mid range shot fadeaways there. And then John Collins, like, it seems like every John Collins was having a really rough series for like the first three and a half games. And then the last game and a half, Every single big three, big shot, big rebound, big even that big block at the end the Hawks have needed, John Collins has made it. And that's really helped flip the series for them. And just the Sixers can't take advantage of them with like, I mean, like it's a problem when John Collins has outplayed Tobias Harris the last two games. It's a problem for the Sixers. 
And yeah, they just can't take advantage of the size. And then you have like, I mean, as great as Seth was, Seth was struggling defensively in the fourth quarter with either Lou Will or Trey going at him because, I mean, Seth isn't exactly a stopper. He's not the worst defender in the world, but he's not a stopper. And then also, like, I mean, Seth was able to take advantage then of the Hawks defenders on the other end, but, like, basically, the Hawks could live with having Trey Young guard Furkan Korkmaz because Furkan wasn't really hitting that many shots. So you can get away with that. And suddenly you look around, and it's basically like the Sixers' whole – game plan is hope the Hawks miss shots and hope Embiid and, and Seth Curry can make contested shots themselves. And that's not a way to win. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think um, with Green out, um, I mean, I, I don't want to be too soft on Doc, I guess, because these guys are paid a lot of money to make these decisions. But, you know, you can play Seth and uh, Korkmaz together, which gives you a, a nice shooting lineup in, in almost all cases depending on who else is out there. But that's not a great defensive combination that you have there. And the Hawks were kind of going at them. It, it was interesting one time, I think, I remember Lou had Seth on him and he called for a ball screen to get him switched on to, to Cork Moss, which made sense. I think Seth is the better defender uh, of the two, a little quicker um, just and more experienced, you know. Um, but I, th- I think that's pretty tough when the Hawks were, especially when the Hawks were playing Trey and Lou together, probably their best ball handling lineup on the court but on the other end you know in the second half um you know when you're still trying to play through and beat maybe running some different stuff when you're in the first half that you want to maximize your shooting out there and if you're up 20-ish points you got to think that hey if we just kind of hold serve the rest of the game we're in great shape and if we could just knock down a a reasonable number of perimeter shots as the Hawks you know potentially continue doubling on a beat or providing an extra defender you know in his area one way or another that that works, but it's, you know, I, th- I think Doc has to almost decide to go o- offense with Curry and Korkmaz or defense by maybe, you know, playing Tybal instead of Korkmaz. And it's not like Tybal's a non-shooter the way that maybe, maybe there was concern, you know, earlier in his career and things like that. But, I, you know, game, game in terms of determining the kind of this, this the way things swing, you know, it's hard for to, I, I think, know, anticipate how much pressure they're going to feel in those moments. And maybe, maybe that's a thing. I think that was a difference with the Hawks last night, having Gallo and Lou on the court that, um, you know, I have to kind of qualify this because Gallo had never been on a team that won a playoff series until this year. But he certainly has been in a lot of situations being an older guy um, and Lou right there, too, that that's going to bother Less. And I thought that was a major factor in the game, just that the Hawks had guys that were willing shooters, guys that were willing to create their own shot if, um, and weren't so impacted by the pressure of the situation. Yeah, just on the other side, you know, not so much apart from a few guys. Yeah, just it's I mean, it's <laughs> it sounds reductive, but like it does matter to have guys who can get you a tough contested shot off the dribble and like make it consistently in the playoffs and I mean, the Sixers' offense devolved into off-ball screening actions for Seth to try all those Iverson cuts, trying to get him a shot. And eventually, like you know, Seth was doing great, but eventually, it's hard for him to make like every shot he's taking there. And then Tobias didn't have anything going, and Bead was slowing down. And then suddenly, kind of out of stuff there. Meanwhile, the Hawks keep going to all that stuff. Um, yeah, I just like uh, mean the, the weirdest thing for me. Sorry, the weirdest thing for me was just. Yeah them not trying to involve Tobias more and, you know, more touches, more set 
that might have looked like. I think there should have, I would think there should have been some anticipation that Seth was going to kind of run out of juice, especially when the Hawks were trying to target him defensively and making him work on that end too. It's going to, you know, create a fatigue, fatigue kind of status a little quickly. And so I was just kind of surprised that there wasn't um, an inclination, even though Seth was super effective offensively in the second half, to just kind of keep Tobias more involved and make him a more viable uh, alternative down the stretch so it wasn't so, um, you know, repetitive in terms of all the things that they were running when they were trying to um, kind of put the game away or not let the Hawks kind of get back to you know, tie game or what have you. Mm-hmm. So, Glenn, another thing I noticed was Nate tried putting Gallo on Embiid and having Cabela off as kind of the the rim protector, and he was helping off of Ben a little bit because obviously Ben was as passive as we've ever seen him offensively, so they weren't the least bit worried about guarding him. So Capella could kind of hang in the paint and clog things up, and that kind of helped out in that Gallo didn't have to uh, worry about going one-on-one with Embiid at all, which we saw earlier in the series, that's not even a feasible option. So is the Sixers have kind of used that kind of cross-matching in the past with Tobias as the guy who goes up against the bigger center and have Embiid on Giannis or um, in the, the Raptors playoff series a couple years ago, they put Tobias on Marcus Hall. Um, is that something that the Hawks have used previously where they do kind of cross match and, and put Gallo on a bigger guy to, to let Capella room off ball a little bit more. They've done some of that, but Nate is really vocal about hating cross matching. Um, it's mm-hmm. been one of the more interesting things to watch in the series on the Hawks side is seeing him become more flexible. Um, but I think you kind of hinted at it there, Sean. I think that was mostly about making Capella help defender at the rim. Um, and then also potentially, um, just giving Capella a couple of positive defensive possessions. He's had, you know, I was talking to folks last night, Capella's had a lot of like really bad optics, you know, in the series, um, you know, Embiid, in my mind, has been the best player in the playoffs across the board. Um, and he's phenomenal. And even a defender as good as Capella just has for long, long stretches, hasn't been able to do anything with him. So I think predominantly it was about making Capella a help defender. Uh, and then, but I don't think they do that in the first quarter. For example, I think there is some belief there, even though I don't think they would ever say that loud, that that's an alternative when maybe Embiid's a little more tired and hitting uh, a bigger kind of fatigue point. Um, because early in the game, I mean, Gallo's going to stand those shot, keeping Embiid in front of him, keeping Embiid out of the middle, you know, and those sorts of things. So I would expect to see more of that, but probably limited to the second half. Um, and not only that, but if, you know, Embiid is playing kind of, 10, 11 minute stretches in the first and third quarter and then coming back in the fourth, um, you know, basically depending on the game flow, you know, how long that rest in the fourth quarter is going to be catching him the last two or three minutes of his third quarter stand and then having that option in the fourth quarter. I would, that's where I would expect to see it going forward, not early in the game. Mm-hmm. Glenn, I do want to ask you, uh, do you think the Hawks are going to close this out in game six? Because it might just be the very uh, pessimistic and it's, uh, it's, now broken fan of me is talking, but I, I think they're going to close it out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they they've been very good at home, mm-hmm. um, but I my own, I have a personal belief that playoff experience matters, and the six and I think teams have to 
experienced some failure and not advancing as far as they had hoped to kind of learn what it takes to push through and get to the next level. And so I think the Sixers come out with a ton of fight. I think game six is going to be super close to go down to the final possessions. And I view game six as kind of a 50-50 game. Um, the Hawks have done well closing games at home since Nick Millen took over. So I, I think the Hawks fans, if they're setting aside their emotions and not trying to talk themselves into um, this just kind of being something that's going to happen easily, or would say this is a 50-50 game. Um, and so I, I, I still think the series is wide open. I mean, I'll, I will go on saying, you know, even though Hawks fans don't like to hear me say it, the Sixers are the better team. The Sixers have had more dominant minutes across the series by far than the Hawks have. The Hawks' better stretches have been when they're making shots and when they're not turning the ball over. And so I think that that'll be the focus is, is trying to keep themselves under control, um, getting into their offensive sets quickly enough to not always be against a really um, tough Philly defense, when the when the Sixers defense is set, they're like five times better than when you when you can attack them and pitch us completely set. So for that reason, I, I see game six as 50-50. And if the Sixers get can get the win, I think home court in game seven is a pretty big advantage. Um, you know, how a team deals with having missed an opportunity like last night, I think that's so specific to that team's kind of psyche. And I don't know as much about this interesting as you guys do. So curious from you guys, like, how do you think they handle this? How do you think they bounce back from this? How do you think they look going into game six, you know, Sean, dealing dealing with this, you know, outcome of game five? Sean, you go first, because I'll save my anger for last. <laughs> well, the good thing is there's a strong history of bouncing back from despairing situations in, in the Philadelphia sports annals. Like, we're, we're well known for it. Um, no, it's... It's uh, it's interesting that we find ourselves here. Uh, I don't think anyone could have predicted this going into the series. I think if people had said it, oh, Atlanta's going to win, it was going to be like, oh, Joel is too injured and he's not going to be the effective player that we know he can be, and that'll be the reason. But for him to be, as as you said, the, the best player in the playoffs, and for this still to be happening where they have looked so dominant and – had two games in hand these last two games and, and then just let Atlanta off the hook and let the wind sw slip through their fingers. I, it's really remarkable. I, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I can't imagine there's too many situations in sports where you essentially have the series in hand, let it slip away. And then you immediately bounce back. Like I, I, I come back to the the old Red Sox Yankees series back in 2004 where everybody talks about the steal to win to win game four when the Yankees were about to win the series and close it out like there were still three games after that but nobody talks about that because that was such a just momentum shift that it, it kind of felt reductive at that point to even play the rest of the games which is crazy and we're, we're in a similar situation here where the Sixers as, as I think we all think are the better team and they've played better for more extended stretches in this series, but then they've just completely collapsed. And yeah, it, it's hard to say because you get into a crunch time situation and like Ben Simmons seems completely useless. We're, the Sixers are relying on 
not too long ago, 11th man, Jake Milton as their primary initiator. And uh, they don't really have a lot of other options. And it's, it's, it's tough to know how a team can react from this kind of thing. I still think that, as you said, it's, it's a coin flip in game six. I'm not the, the series is over. Let's all despair. Like there's no chance as (laughs) I I think, I think that's going to be our our next uh, speaker. Um, so yeah, I do still think that they they have a good shot to to eventually pull this out because they they are the better team, and they should have won games four and five. And Doc shouldn't have made the poor coaching decisions he did in game one to let Atlanta get out to such a big lead. So, as I as I said on our, an earlier segment of our pod, um, you can make the argument that the Sixers were you know, realistically capable of winning every game that's happened this series. Um, so I, I'm going to still hold out hope that they, they can do it, but it, it's it's hard to find too many comparisons throughout sports history where, where that's the case. So it's it's not a, it's a very guarded optimism on, on my behalf, I'll say. Glenn, when you mentioned that you believe in playoff experience mattering, I did until last night. <laughs> like that was kind of, like I thought that's what I half of our first pod was like spent me ranting about how the Sixers, like the losses from previous years, it this one hurts more because the Sixers were the Hawks. They were the upcoming team who we didn't expect to beat the Raptors. And it was amazing that they took it to seven and just barely lost on that like it felt like they had a chance and it's supposed to be they've learned from this they're better now and now this is the year where they're in the conference finals and I mean I don't think they're going to win I think game six Atlanta's gonna win if I had to pick now there are like you said cases of you're looking for cases of teams being resilient I mean this is their chance like I listened to Wright Sturkey Sanchez this morning in my despair and our good friend Andrew Unterberger who's we've had on the pod he said how the one like consolation is this is the Sixers getting a chance to prove like are you a resilient team do you come back from this absolutely like just soul crushing loss to still to go win a game on the road against a good team in the playoffs and keep your season alive can you do that and if you're looking for like examples like look at a team like the Nuggets last year in the bubble they go down 3-1 to the Jazz and they were getting clowned for how bad all of those losses were just they were just getting stomped by the jazz game after game and then they responded both jamal murray and nicole Jokic played out of their minds the rest of the series and they came back and won down three one to the clippers losing by a lot in game five i believe marcus morris like shoves paul Millsap, and then they started to run they came all the way back and won again like that's a response that is you got punched in the mouth it you were staggering back your everyone was saying that like this is it for you guys You've completely failed and they got back up again and they turned it around or even look at a team like the Clippers this year who lost that critical game five at home against the Mavs and everyone thought maybe the Mavs are about to end them. They responded in game six of a big game to win. Like this is your chance then or, or okay. One last one. Like if you're talking about one where it really felt like a team had the series in hand, it's a, a one seat. Like it's like a favored team. Remember back when, um, the Heat were playing the Celtics in the 2012 conference finals and they lost that game five at home where Paul Pierce was talking to their bench. And then LeBron comes out with the incredible 30 point first half and they dominate in Boston on the road in game six. And then win the series, like, again, it's just, this is where it's like, do the Sixers get up here in game six? Like 
there is no way we're losing this game at all. Are you that resilient? Because if you're not, I don't know where you go from here as a franchise. I really hope they do. The pessimist in me doesn't think it's going to happen. But this is then like, this is the time. There is, you're on the brink of elimination now. There is no more waiting left to do. And so that's just all I would say. I don't think it's going to happen, but the time is now, I guess. Yeah, I, I so I'll, carry, I'll, I'll put this out there and see if it, if you see it, it similarly at all from the other side. But there have been times when the Hawks have probably done their best on the scoreboard in the series where it just looked like maybe the Sixers don't fully respect the Hawks. And I don't, I don't, I don't mean that really as a heavy criticism of Philly. I think that's always kind of a risk in sports when you're the, you know, the better team, the better record, top seed, all that sort of stuff kind of comes with that risk kind of comes with that. But like when I rewatched the second half last night, their closeouts, for example, were half-hearted. They weren't tagging the roller. Oh they no. Were, yeah. yeah we, were, we mentioned they were, started the pod. They came out in the second half thinking they'd already won the game. Right. And I think, and honestly, I think that was the biggest factor in the door getting open for the Hawks getting back in and being able to compete and get that win. But that's why I, you know, in my non-emotional view of the series, I think if the Sixers just don't take things for granted, play hard, play good sound team, team defense, execute basic assignments, I think they're, in almost all cases, too much for the Hawks to deal with. You know, and, and the times when the Hawks have been able to kind of really push back or get separation in game one or what have you, is like in game one, it just looked like the Sixers didn't expect the Hawks to be that much of a competitor to, you know, you know, with them. Uh, and then as they Sixers have kind of seemingly at different points kind of taking control of the series, they let their foot off the gas. They stop, you know, being you know, so focused on attention to detail. And like I said, basic assignment basketball, if they come out and they are able to kind of, you know, do all of those things they didn't do in the second half last night, I think that's a ton for the Hawks to try to deal with. It'll help them because they're at home. I think you Typically, teams like this will just shoot the ball a little better at home. You know, they'll have their routine to make them a little more comfortable. So I still see it as kind of a coin uh, flip game. But I would hope, uh, you know, for the Sixers' sake, that them taking this series for granted in any way is is over. <laughs> and that's not going to be something that's going to kind of show up again, uh, you know, on their side. It better not. <laughs> if it is, then, like, again, like, I mean, it's already feels like an organizational failure, but – if they just like, I mean, Sean, what would you say the percentage chances they just get rolled in game six? They just roll over. Like, I don't think that. No, I, I can't like, see that. Ha- I can't see that happening. Imagine if it does, though. Like, what happens then? <laughs> I probably think Ben Simmons gets traded. Oh, if they lose this series, I'm pretty sure Ben's getting traded. <laughs> like, I'm very confident that's happening if they lose the series. Yeah. Well, def- definitely if they roll over in game six. For sure. Yeah. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on. It was. Very helpful, again, to have someone who is not down in the dumps, like come with a rational perspective and help us break down this game. Uh, tell the good listeners where they can find you and where they can follow all your work. Sure, yeah. I, as you mentioned in the intro, I contribute to Peace Tree Hoops. Um, I, I tend to do more technical content. I have a coaching background, and my writing kind of comes from that. Um, I, I use writing with quotes. I'm not the I don't, I'm not the strongest writer in the world, but I, I try to do my best with kind of conveying the technical stuff. But on Twitter, at Willis underscore Glenn, you can find um, my work there. Um, I still think this, I mean, if I'm looking at this analytically, I still think this is a fun, exciting series the rest of the way. 
Um, I'm going to have fun tomorrow night. Easier to say because the Hawks are playing with house money. And even if they, <laughs> lose, games, if they lose games six and seven, they still had a wildly successful season, so it's easier. But uh, six or seven, hang in there. Your team is really, really good. And if they could just kind of keep themselves straight, I think they're still in pretty good shape. I mean, I'll, I'll try and keep myself together. No promises. There's no fun left in Sixers basketball. <laughs> Even if they win this series, it's not going to be a fun experience. My one friend, Cody Hudek, like after the Bucks loss in game five to the Nets, tweeted like, basketball is dumb and meaningless. Why do I do this? That's I literally could just like insert Sixers for Bucks, and it's the exact same feeling. Yeah, I've had them as my predicted NBA champion for a while now. So I just think nobody has anything for Embiid as long as they can just kind of do the basic stuff. So um, I've been getting some ribbing for that, um, re- you know, the last couple of days or so. That's the nature of sports and things like that. But, I, you know, I, I still fully respect what the Sixers could come out there and do. Six, so, but, I, but as an Atlanta sports fan, I also know exactly what you guys are feeling. <laughs> so <laughs> I can empathize. Yes, it, everyone was quick to point out how the Sixers have – atlanta against Atlanta. Which, <laughs> uh, like a revolutionary strategy by the Hawks to get down by so much that they cannot pull the classic Atlanta sports like uh, disappointment loss. Yeah, the, the, it, it was a strange experience on, on, on the Atlanta side for, for, for fans, for sure. So, Well, I, I am glad that at least you guys got to experience such a a thrilling comeback. I just wish it hadn't been at the expense of uh, our favorite team here in Philadelphia because uh, I, I, I never got to quite experience what you guys did in the Super Bowl and every, every other time it's happened, uh, it's not fun. So I, I wouldn't it's wish not. it on anyone. <laughs> it's, it's not. I, I still try to keep. I still try to keep sports in the fun department in my life, but some some moments have been harder to do that than others for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming off us, Glenn. Me and Sean will be back next week with doing who knows what. Well, we'll it could be, be anything. <laughs> we'll be doing something. But uh, thank you all so much for listening. Like no intro music, no outro music. This team has lost the right to music. They get it back if they can w- find a way to win this series. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, Sixers, please be better. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.